Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young, a nursing podcast with your host, Beth Quas. Before we get started, we have a few quick notes. Don't Eat Your Young is a listener-supported podcast. To learn more about becoming a member and the perks available to you for becoming a patron yourself, visit patreon.com slash don't eat your young. You can learn more about the show, share your story to join Beth as a guest, or connect with our wonderful community in our Facebook group. You can find all those links and more at don'teatyouryoung.com. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Don't Eat Your Young. I'm your host, Beth Quas. Today, we have Denise Grzynski on the show. She's an RN. She's worked in many capacities throughout her years, including a stint on a Carnival Cruise Line, which I think uh, we're all interested in hearing a little bit more about. She's also written a children's book. So we're going to hear Denise's story today. Welcome, Denise. Hi, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Well, I know you have some interesting things to share, so uh, let's get into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having a podcast like this, because any of us that have worked in nursing know how important this topic is. Um, I have been a nurse since 1994. Um, I spent a lot of my nursing career in cardiac step-down and then also in the emergency room. I graduated with my nurse practitioner in 1999. Um, I did a two-year nursing degree. So when I went to the University of San Diego, I did an accelerated program, bachelor's to master's in, within the three-year period. And then I found that it was difficult to find a job as a nurse practitioner. Uh, I was really struggling. I had sent out resumes, literally. I was living in San Diego at the time, sending out resumes to absolutely every primary care provider's office I could get a hold of. And I got an interesting phone call. Uh, I had a friend that had graduated a year before me, and she said, you know, I've got a full-time job now, and Carnival Cruise Lines is looking for a nurse to come out over the Millennium New Year. Are you interested in doing it? That's amazing. And I said, yes. What a cool thing to do. You know, and it ended up being, so it transitioned. I did the Millennium New Year's stint with them. And then later on that next summer, I still didn't have a full-time job. Thank goodness we have our nursing careers as well, right? Because I was still working. It wasn't that I wasn't working, but I wasn't using my full degree. So I was feeling a little bit like, oh man, I paid all this money for an education and I'm not using it. They called me back and asked if I wanted to go to Alaska. So I went ahead and went to Alaska and loved Alaska. What did you do there in Alaska? So the cruise ship actually goes from Vancouver, Canada, and it's a seven-day cruise up through the Inside Passage, and then you turn around, you pick up new guests and turn around and come back to the Inside Passage. Okay, so you were still on the cruise ship in in Alaska. Oh, yes, yes, cruise ship in Alaska. So good question, <laughs> clarifying question, and I loved it up there. Uh, we had I had an amazing time. I love hiking. I love mountains. I love the outdoors. And we work hard and we played hard. That's what I used to say about Carnival. Yeah. And it was an interesting transition because about the exact same time that I finished, in fact, I did three weeks and then the nurse I was working for said that I was not working for, but that I was substituting for. Um, Another one of the nurses said, well, if you want to stay here for three more weeks, I could use a vacation. And so we talked to the head office and they let me stay. So I got to spend six weeks there. Wow. And about the same time that that was kind of winding down for those six weeks, two really big events happened. 
Um, number one, I got called by head office. They had been, they were having a brand new cruise ship that size class that was being launched that would have about 1500 guests and a thousand crew members. And they were trying to figure out how to staff them. So the larger cruise ships at the time had two docks and four nurses. And the smaller cruise ships had one dock and three nurses. And they were having this middle class ship coming out. And so they wanted, they were trying to figure out how to do that. And the person in the head office at the time said, I've been trying to talk about nurse practitioners. You're already a nurse practitioner. Would you be interested in being our first nurse practitioner so that we could have a doc, a nurse practitioner, and three RNs? Um, and the idea really was that you would, as a nurse practitioner, I have my nursing background. And so if things got really, really critical out at sea, I could work as a nurse when needed, but be hired as a nurse practitioner. Right. So say we had an inpatient, you know, you're cruising from Vancouver to Hawaii because that's part of that crossing relatively 20, maybe not even 24 hours into it, but a short period of time into it, you're not, you're, it's, it's the point of no return. You can't get a helicopter out to get a patient off. Whatever comes in is all yours. Um, and so then you have to use a nurse 24, you know, you've got a staff for 24 hour shifts instead of just the clinic shifts. Right. So I could rotate in and help out with those hours and the doc could just take over the clinics for us. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the idea of that role. What a unique job for a nurse, because I haven't talked to anybody. I, I known it was out there, but I haven't talked to anybody. So what was your experience? Did you love it? I did. I ended up doing it for five years. Wow. Um, I had a great time doing it. Um, but there were ups and downs as there are with any job. Number one, as an emergency room nurse, the patients are packaged by EMS to bring them to you. So the same thing happened kind of at the same time they were asking me whether or not I want, want I wanted to do this role. They also, I we had a patient that we ran a code on from their cabin. And myself and the other Canadian nurse at the time, and then a, there was a British nurse on at the time, it was the three of us, because I, I was working at the time as a nurse. We really struggled, the two of us that were pretty new to working the, the job, and felt pretty awful about the code itself. Mm -hmm. And we always, as they do in the emergency room, or hopefully for any nurse, they did kind of a debriefing afterwards. And I remember the Canadian nurse telling me that I had done everything wrong. <laughs> and so I remember sitting down and talking with our lead nurse that was, that was the girl from England. And she, her and saying, I can't do this nurse practitioner job on here. I can't even function as a nurse. Like I was just told how awful I did in this role. Oh, so man. how can I possibly step up my role to being in an even greater responsibility job? And she said, well, first of all, Denise, both of you don't realize that you both did just fine. That's nice to hear. And remember, she's dealing with her own set of emotions from what just happened because the patient did expire. Mm -hmm. she's dealing with her own set of emotions and she's taking those and she's putting them on you. Right. And both of you actually did the best job you can possibly do. You are not used to going to the scene and handling the scene. Right. Right. Absolutely. And you know, even the most experienced person, that patient may have had the same outcome. I will never forget her as a lead nurse because it was just so amazing how she was able to manage all of those emotions. 
And I remember her saying to me, you know, remember, if you come out and you don't really like the job, you don't have to keep doing it. Right. So, but what does it hurt to come out and try? I think you'd be great at this. And what a fantastic experience for you. I'm sure you learned. And just from that situation that you were in, how you felt to be told you didn't know what you're doing, and then to have somebody experience tell you, you did just fine. And to have the insight to say, you're both dealing with emotions and, you know, you do know what you're doing and you did the best you could. I'm sure it changed the way you treated people moving forward. Very much so. And I had come from a background where I worked in medical records to start off with when I was 16. And then I worked as a ward clerk. And then when I started nursing school, that same hospital used me during the summers as a CNA. So I've worked in multiple roles. And I remember always thinking, even when I was working in all those roles, I am going to always be cautious in how I treat absolutely everyone working with me. We are all an integral part of this. And we need to make sure we have respect for each other. Absolutely. Imagine if that experienced nurse didn't say the things that she did to you. You may have just left. Oh, I don't think I would have stayed working for Carnival Cruise Lines. Right. So one person's actions and kind words can go a long way. I hope people get that message from what the story that you're telling, because it's very important. It's huge. And it makes all the difference. I spent, I ended up with a five-year career with Carnival Cruise Lines that I loved and enjoyed. And yes, it had ups and downs, but I would always come back to what she had told me. Yeah, that's a fantastic story. And you know, that's what this is about. If we can just lift each other up instead of dragging each other down, even if our emotions are running high, it goes a long way to help everyone else, especially today. We see people, you know, leaving and getting burnt out and it takes one person to say the right thing or the wrong thing really and it can change the trajectory of someone's career very much so so what did you do after carnival so after carnival i had learned i loved to travel so i lived in miami beach for a couple of years and worked there and then i moved to rhode island and ended up working in several different roles in rhode island i was um, I worked in a nurse practitioner in an emergency room. I worked as a nurse still doing travel nursing contracts. Um, I taught for community colleges of Rhode Island. And I worked for the uh, Narragansett Indian Health Tribe kind of all at the same time to try to help my finances. I, I was struggling because every every position was just a little bit in anyway. So I was trying to make up finances. Right. That leads me, sorry, to go backwards to the question. For anyone interested in being a cruise line nurse, which I just think is amazing, um, do you, was the pay comparable? Could you live off of that wage? Well, so what I found was because the pay was considerably less than when I worked in the U.S. or when I worked, yeah, in the U.S. here. I was in California at the time. And I don't know what the pay is now. It's that was I left in 2005. So it's been a hot minute. I'm not even sure how many nurse practitioners still exist on cruise ships anymore. I I should go back and look and Google and see if the position <laughs> still exists. I bet you it's blown up. I bet you there's a lot more. You would think so. But there was also a problem a little bit because not every nurse practitioner was as open to fulfilling as many roles as Carnival needed them to. Uh, yeah, I get that. I can understand that. 
So it kind of goes back into that same, I don't know, that same kind of trajectory where I remember hearing from another cruise ship when I went out to do some training for them, because I ended up doing some training for, for staff as well. I put together a crew education program for what healthcare was available to them on the ships because they didn't really know. And I remember hearing that they had had a nurse practitioner work on their ships on their ship that didn't think they needed to show up to a code. Oh yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, when you have only a small number of providers, you need everyone there at something like that, a crisis like that, you need everyone to show up. You do. And part of that is a clarification I feel of roles too, right? So it was a brand new role it was being developed and kind of, so there probably wasn't great set forth expectations maybe of what that role should be, which is also really important from anybody in an administrative standpoint that we have very, very clearly defined roles. But I know that Carnival was trying, you know, they were creating a role. And so it didn't necessarily had to be the exact same way I did it, but then there should have been certain expectations that were definitely laid out. Right. And we're talking about Carnival because that is your experience. There are many cruise lines and we're not saying one is better than the other. We're just talking because that was your experiences of Carnival. And I enjoyed working for them too. Yeah. I would never, I mean, it's, yeah. And whenever there's a brand new role, I think um, that's important no matter cruise ship, not cruise ship, whatever. And yes, I enjoyed working for them. So I didn't have a bad experience. I just love this conversation because I guess maybe because I always thought it was a really neat thing that somebody could do. And there's nurses that are, you know, ready to leave the regular hospital care and look for new things. And this may be something that they hadn't thought about, especially if you like to travel, you know, and maybe the pay is less because you get lodging and food, I assume. Well, and that's it. You get lodging, food. I sold my car for the five years that I was out there. And I, yeah, I didn't pay, I didn't pay rent. I didn't pay I mean, it was all cash coming into pocket and I paid some taxes because I lived in the U.S. But yeah, so if if you look at benefits, um, I, and I think that's how we have to look at salaries as well, because, you know, I was traveling, I was scuba diving wherever I wanted to. I was hiking where, you know, in different locations. And so there were a lot of benefits that for me outweighed outweighed the pay at the time. And I actually got bills paid off while I was out there. So that's fantastic. So what have you been doing recently? So I now work um, as a nurse practitioner for um, a large company in California. I've been working with the same supervising position in an internal medicine practice for approximately the last seven years. About two years ago, two and a half years ago, she uh, or my husband's job took us, moved us away. And it was the one thing that COVID did was give us the ability to work remotely as providers um, because companies could see reimbursement for remote visits um, where that didn't happen before. So I have stayed with my practice. I mostly do a virtual practice. I do, I work three days a week. I have a very busy family. I have four very young children and um, I'm able to see patients remotely. And about every four months, I go back and see patients in office. Part of why that works, though, is if I need somebody seen in person, there are two other people in our office. There's another nurse practitioner and a physician. And so if I want somebody seen in person, I can have somebody go to a rapid care, the ER, or they can come in. If it doesn't need either one of those things, they can come in and see one of the other providers. 
compare to me how you think the care is the way it used to be before COVID when you saw every patient in person to now when you're seeing them virtually. I have no concept of that because I do anesthesia. I can't do that remotely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so tell me if you, if you see any differences, are some good and some bad? I think there's a lot of good. I think the only caveat to that is the inability to put a stethoscope on a patient. And so um, there are you know instances where that's necessary. But I see a lot more positive. I am able to keep up all of my patients with their quality care, like their management of their diabetes, their management of making sure all their, I, I'm all about preventative medicine. That's, that's what I love to do. In fact, I'm certified in cancer risk assessment now as well through the city of hope. And um, so that we can bring that to our patients too. And I'm able to do all of that remotely and patients love it. Your patient sits, you know, one of the things that has been really tough is my wait times have always been kind of long as a nurse practitioner. Now, patients will say, oh, it's not nearly as long. I sat in an office for two hours and waited for somebody, or I sat for an hour and waited for somebody. My wait times are not usually that long, but you do wait for me a bit. Um, it takes time to do all of the things that I do and ask you all the questions and let you ask all the questions back. Patients are very grateful for that. Um, they've always liked that. Most of my patients will say, you're, it's worth the wait for you because I know I'm going to get my full amount of time. I always make it real clear up front. I do my best to be as on time as I can. Your time is valuable. I don't, you know, I, I don't negate the fact that your time is very valuable, but patient education was my favorite part of being a nurse. And it's what I like to do as a nurse practitioner. Um, and that may or may not be the right fit for you, but just be aware. So when they're establishing, I'm actually setting that expectation at the front and where virtual comes in is they're not waiting in my office. Right. They're at home. I've had somebody in the grocery store and she said, they'll get on and they'll say, give me just a minute. I'm going to get out to my car or I'll say, okay, I've seen you now. I know you're not in any distress, which is the main part of my virtual visit for an exam. And I'll say, so I'll call you on the phone if you would like a little more privacy, um, just to give them that HIPAA expectation as well. Oh, that is a bonus. That is fantastic. Well, I grew up in rural Minnesota, and you had to drive a couple hours if you wanted to see a specialist of any kind. And that's a hard thing. You know, I watched my parents go through it. And to have that virtual aspect available now would have been fantastic back then, too. I do see that as a plus for patients, especially sick patients, elderly patients, you don't need them coming into a building. If it's not like you said, you know, some critical that they had to be seen in person. I think that is a huge bonus. So I'm glad that you think that as well. And as far as the stethoscope or lung sounds, whatever you're listening for, do they make anything or are they working on some kind of thing where you could have a medical assistant in there placing the stethoscope and you can hear over speakers? I'm sure it's coming down the pipeline. I will tell you that I already do in-office virtuals to get my diabetic foot exam done. I'll have my nurse come in. I've taught the MAs how to do them. And so I watch it and I they can tell me what they're, you know, yes, I've got a pedal pulse. 
this is what the cap refill is. So I've taught them how to do it. And then I watch it and I'm able to document that. Oh, that's fantastic. And that's also a way I get vital signs because I can get an actual, if I have a patient who's struggling with their blood pressure, I'm having them do it at home. I'm encouraging them to go get their machines, which that's the other thing. I treat a lot of COVID patients virtually. You don't, they're not going to come in the office. They're in isolation as well. And one of the things that we've tried to step up is people getting their own home oxygen saturation little machines. They're like 20 bucks. And then I get a heart rate and I get your oxygen level. So that helps with that. So we've really been able to see people get more done in their homes. But again, if I want an actual blood pressure on you, well, okay, so let's see each other in two weeks for follow-up. Come in with your documented blood pressures. Bring your machine that you're using at home with you. Come into the office. Let's get a comparison while you're in the office. And I'll get an actual blood pressure done by my MA in the office. I think telehealth is only going to continue becoming more of our lives as we go away from COVID because I think it forced something that probably should have happened long ago for patients, for some patients, not all patients. For I would say for most though, wouldn't you? Yeah. A good majority of my patients can be seen virtually and then be seen, you know, every four months in office or once a year in office. I can get, you know, my diabetic patients, I'll say, do you want to come in for an in-office visit for your three-month follow-up? Or do you want me to order your hemoglobin A1C or any other labs and have you get those lab orders and get those done prior to our visit in three months? Yeah. So it just opens up so many options. And I hope that it doesn't go anywhere because I love doing it. I I can only see it becoming more of our lives and not Mm -hmm. less. I agree. Like I said, people don't want to travel. In Minnesota, we have winter for about 11 months out of the year, it seems. And, you know, when roads are bad, it's just, if that's an option, I think it's an excellent thing. And like you said, your wait times can be less, which means you can potentially see more patients. And we know, especially with mental health and things, how important that is to be able to see as many patients as we can. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit. You wrote a children's book, and I want you to talk a little bit about that because we both love dogs, and I've read your book, and I think it's amazing. So <laughs> talk you. to me a little bit about that. Well, it was really surprising. Um, let's see, and I may get my dates a little bit off right now. I should have reviewed my dates. But <laughs> I adopted um, a Yorkshire Terrier when I was living in Rhode Island, um, So around, or just before I moved to Rhode Island, so around 2006 as a rescue. Uh, I wasn't married, no kids, no nothing. It was just the dog and I. And in and around 2008, he got diagnosed with diabetes. It was such an eye-opener to me. I was already a nurse practitioner. In fact, I had called up my vet and said, my dog is peeing more often. He's having accidents in the house, which he wasn't doing before. He's drinking more and he's eating more. And for my patients, that's diabetes what is that in a dog? And the vet said, possibly diabetes, please bring him in right away. And sure enough, his blood sugars were like over 600. Um, And dogs' blood sugars are supposed to be about the same as, as humans. So around 70 to 120, 130, you tend to have them run a little bit higher because they can't tell you when they're not feeling good. So if they're starting to drop low, it's a lot harder to see it in a dog. But the, I remember the vet telling me I was bawling my eyes out because 
I thought, what does this mean? Like, no, 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 no. We can treat them the same way you treat a human. They can live for a very long time with diabetes and you caught it early. And one of the things that they see as a vet oftentimes is that people don't know what symptoms to watch for. And so by the time they bring their pet in, they're in multi-system failure um, from the disease. And then they do have to, they do have to be put down or put to sleep. Or I try to not use that with my kids because then my kids think when they fall asleep, they're they could go to the rainbow bridge when they fall asleep. So, but anyway, so I, I thought it actually happened after Harley lived for another four or five years with the diabetes. He ended up um, going blind um, from while we were trying to get it under control. He did really, really well with that as well. And in the book, he tells his own story to kids, but also adults. I really meant it for both about being rescued, finding out he had diabetes and learning about other pets with special needs um, and what unconditional love really means. It does all of that. It is a fantastic book. And it really does say, just because you have a disease, there's nothing wrong with you. We still love you and you're still part of this family. So it it was very well done. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It means the world to me because he gets to be still kind of you're an animal lover too. So he still gets to have a little piece of me. I get to talk about him. So it kind of gets to still be with me some when I get to talk about him too. And then he gets to educate. Um, I don't want another person to have an animal that has to be put down because they didn't know what symptoms to watch for. Like that was a huge thing for me. And then children with, with diabetes, I've gone to multiple diabetic walks and juvenile diabetic walks. And they'll be like, really? A a dog can have the same thing I do? And to see a child who's going to be living with this for the rest of their lives, realize that I'm not, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. That's huge. We know for adults as well as kids, but especially kids that are wanting to be like everyone else. And so it really gives them something to connect with that an animal can have it as well. And then a little piece of it that I wasn't expecting um, because we adopted four a sibling set. So my four children are siblings. Um, they moved in when they were one, two, three, and four. They are now just about six, seven, eight, and nine, given some birthdays. But I didn't even, it didn't occur to me, which sounds crazy, about the adoption piece of Harley's story and oh, the rescue yeah. piece and how my kids have connected with it. Um, they just love it. So well, there's your next book, right? Well, my next book has got to be about the Rainbow Bridge because okay. <laughs> because people kids ask to see Harley. So yes. and I'm I gotta have the next piece be he's been gone since 2013. And so I'm like, okay, we gotta talk about the Rainbow Bridge. So I actually have written the Rainbow Bridge. It's going through editing processes and I'm looking for an illustrator. Since Harley's story has mostly pictures, as you've seen. Mm-hmm. Some illustrations for um, pictures that weren't as great a quality, but the Rainbow Bridge is not something I feel like I can take a picture of, right? So <laughs> I need an illustrator for the book. Oh, that is fantastic! And and then, like you said, maybe we'll see one on adoption as well. Mm-hmm. And I definitely have one in the works on inclusionary stuff as well, because you see, animals are way more accepting of other animals that are unlike themselves. 
um, than sometimes we are as humans. And so that's on the docket for it's life lessons from fur friends is, is the series planned. Oh, I love it. I'm glad you're continuing on that because I think you have good messages to share in relatable stories. So tell us uh, some tips or advice or inspiration for nurses that you'd like them to know. I really, really feel like your podcast and the theme behind your podcast says it all because we all have a place in healthcare. You don't function as well as as a nurse practitioner or a physician without your nurse. Right. Your nurses don't function, we don't function as well without our MAs and our LVNs and our CNAs. Um, And we all don't function as well without our ward clerks at the front desk and the people, like every single person has a place and deserves respect. Absolutely. You couldn't have said it better. And in my world, I would say it's, of course, the nurses and the anesthesia team, the surgeon, but the surgical technologists and the aides that run for us and help clean our rooms and those people. You can't do it without everyone. So you're right. I'm so glad you said that. And we can all learn from each other. There are things that I learn from students because I teach now, too. I learn so much from students now. They're coming coming out of ICUs that are so much busier than any ICU I worked in way back 25 years ago. They are very bright people. So we can all, if we listen, we can all learn from someone. Exactly. I feel exactly the same way. Thank you. I am so glad you came on to share your story, Denise. And what an inspiration. Please go out and look for her book and the books to come in her series. Tell us one more time, Denise, what's the name of your series? Life Lessons from Fur Friends. And it is available on Amazon. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. So anyone wanting to find out more information can go there to get the to get that information on where to find those books. Thank you so much, Denise. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you for putting this out there. Thank you. It is my passion. And I really appreciate to hear that people, that it's helping people because that is the whole intent of this podcast. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Donut Your Young was produced in partnership with True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by The Lighthearts. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at DonutYourYoung.com. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. But the best thing you could do to support the show is to share it with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.